you are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit Win, Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global marketing lead at Win by night and product manager and university level faculty by day. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of the Win-Win Podcast. So throughout my last two years at Win, I've shared some magical moments, meeting women who tell me they're part of the community and part of making Win what it is and early supporters, which is so crazy to think as this community is so global. And the last year and a half has been built entirely virtually, as you know. One of these amazing women is Christine Barkenau, who leads innovation at All Market Inc., an independently owned portfolio of beverage brands such as Vita Coco. Her role sits squarely at both development and launching of new products to market, and she brings a rich wealth of knowledge and experiences from her time consulting and working at companies such as Diageo and also innovation consultancies such as What If. If you've listened to the podcast for a while and heard Maria and Alfia, our founders, talk about the inception of Wynn, you would know that Wynn started as a cheese and wine dinner that they invited all of these wonderful women in the innovation industry to, and its overwhelming success proved the product market fit of Wynn initially. Christine was actually one of the women who was at the dinner, and so she's seen this organization absolutely thrive since day one and is one of the success stories, in my opinion, of women that came out of our programming and our offerings and and really closed the gender gap in innovation by taking on a seat at the leadership table. We had the best time chatting, and Christine is hilarious and low-key. I kind of want her to start her own podcast. So I hope you have as much fun as I did. Hi, Christine. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I know we've been brewing this for a little bit. I'm so excited to be here. You know, it's my first podcast, actually. So the honor is really all mine. Everyone who listens to this podcast knows I'm always so curious about people's beginnings and also what they wanted to be when they grew up or while they were in college. And you got your sociology degree from Princeton and graduated right into the 2008 economic crisis. Oh, yeah. To start on a positive note, why the sociology degree and how did you maneuver figuring out what was next for you while the world was essentially crumbling around you? (laughs) Yeah, you could not have put it better. It was definitely a tough year to graduate. So actually, the decision to to major in sociology was actually a bit random. I mean, if you actually look at the trajectory that I was on, I was actually going to be a classics major. So I was uh, obsessed with Latin and Greek. Mm. um, And I really thought I was going to be a nerdy classics professor. Um, And then, you know, as I was doing my soul searching, as you do in your liberal liberal arts uh, experience, you start to realize that, you know, maybe something like that is not for you. And Mm -hmm. I started thinking about what I wanted to do and what I liked about sociology was that it felt like the complete opposite. It was a very modern academic topic, but ultimately it did end up being the foundation for 
what I was interested in in life. So it actually, you know, ended up working out. You then end up at JWT and you are looking at trends. So is that like, you know, future prediction kind of trend strategy or, or what is that like? Exactly. So, yeah, so basically I was doing the PR, you know, work for a little bit. It wasn't really for me completely. And at this time of soul searching, I was starting to think about my sociology degree and actually thinking maybe I wanted to go back to school, Mm. maybe even become a sociology professor. Um, I had a great relationship with my um, thesis advisor. So he and I were constantly talking about this. And I found this job through a friend of mine at JWT. It was the perfect layup for potentially moving into academia later on, because basically this job was you know, about writing and thinking and speaking in front of people. And it was essentially just really trying to understand what were the big trends that were happening, trying to make predictions about what would happen next and figuring out what the implications were for the clients of, uh, of JWT, which is short for J. Walter Thompson. It's a big ad agency. So that was a great experience because like you said, it was definitely taking my connection from, you know, um, the world of music in a way, because it was trying to figure out these trends and culture that would connect with people and actually, you know, help brands set up how they're engaging with people. So it was a great experience, but what if, which was what happened after J. Walter Thompson, that was my next career move. That was really the experience that defined the rest for me. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because there are so many similarities actually between our paths. Um, I mean, I'm still kind of in academia. I teach part-time at Columbia and I teach at an online school. And I've always wondered like how the jobs that I'm doing, how they're actually helping me with the teaching, even though I don't necessarily want to end up in academia, but also a lot of my studies and my master's was uh, in strategic communications. And I remember it was just so tough to jump from being that, you know, liberal arts design um, communications person to then being taken seriously by innovation consultancies. Did you experience that or, or did you feel like your, your next move to what if was, was really just like the obvious next step? It in some ways was not so obvious and in other ways completely. Um, I When I stumbled into what if it was this world I didn't know existed, right? Mm-hmm. These, these kinds of opportunities and careers were not talked about at Princeton. I, I didn't, this was not on my radar. Innovation, right. never thought about it, you know, never really heard about it. Obviously, at JWT, I got exposed to that more. But when I came in, I think that the thing that was the most amazing was that every single person that worked there had a really different background. So that was kind of one of the key selling points that a company like What If was getting across was that Mm -hmm. there is a huge diversity in terms of the backgrounds of people, and that helped you get to much more creative solutions. So in many ways, I felt out of place because I didn't know anything about innovation or, you know, what this skill set was all about. I was really green when I started. But on the other hand, I completely fit in because everyone was kind of like me in a way. Mm. 
And so what do you think were some of the skills that they were excited about you with? And especially because like you said, you didn't have that innovation background. So what do you think really stood out to them? Well, so interestingly, like going back to my obsession with dead languages, I actually got into what if because I was tutoring the CEO's son. So coming out of college, you know, was doing the work at JWT, but I, in the back of my head, I still really loved Latin and I didn't want to let Mm. go of it. So I was tutoring kids Latin on the side. And one of my students was the CEO of What If, and she uh, spoke to me after the tutoring session, the first one that I was at, and she was curious about my background and what I was doing at JWT. And the next thing I know, I was walking out with her business card and had a case study interview with them the next week. And so I think, yeah, super weird. But I think that what she liked about my background was just that I was doing this research and very future forward type of thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that was probably the main appeal. But I think that the other thing that's relevant about language, especially a language like Latin, is that it's not so much about the history or, you know, the mythology or whatever. It's really about decoding problems, right? Like you look at a really long toiling sentence and you're trying to figure out how to decode that. And that's not that different from innovation, actually, where you're trying to decode these complicated issues. One of the many conversations that I have on this podcast and and one that always stuck out to me was uh, our mutual friend and Win co-founder, Althea. She talked about how for her getting into innovation was such a black box. And, you know, she came from this incredible Columbia Business School and all the internships in the world background. And she still felt like it was such a black box. And hearing you talk about how the one of the unique things that stood out was was your Latin background, I think further proves the point that there's so much actually opportunity in innovation. And and it's an industry that values some of those unique skills. So you ended up spending time in What If for over five years. You were there for five years. You got to actually innovate. And we talk about all the many ways there are to innovate and even more as we see industries of employee experience and productivity get turned on their feet. And of course, every single day, more and more industries grow ripe for innovation. So what was the range of clients that you got to work on? And and what were some of the examples of problems you were hoping to solve for them? I worked on everything from diapers to really luxury hotel experiences to toilets (laughs) to we worked with the USPS at one point, really big beverage brands, alcohol. I mean, let's just talk about toilets because that's always love that. Actually, the toilets project was one of my first projects at What If. And At that time, when I had started there, I was what they called a recon inventor. And what that means, yeah, so it's you're responsible for doing the reconnaissance on a project. So we were working with a client that the majority of their business was in creating faucets. And they were really interested in breaking into the toilet industry. They had some toilets, you know, in their portfolio, but it wasn't a really meaningful part of the business. And it was just the coolest project because it was a really big question. It was just, what's the future of toilets? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So that was just, I mean, so as a recon inventor, right, I was doing research, not just around you know, how do toilets work. And we, we ordered a toilet into the office. We installed wow. it ourselves. We, you know, like we really got in there and really tried to understand all the different pain points involved, not just, you know, the installation process and how people think about home improvement, but also just the maintenance, you know, what were really those pain points, which obviously include cleaning. And, you know, we just got to really cool ideas out of that whole process. And when you go so wide and expansive like that, you realize that, you know, creativity is this amazing thing that knows no bounds. I guess what, as you talk about that, it, it really makes me think about like the, the curse of knowledge, which is when you are in innovation, one quality that I do think all people in the innovation industry share or should share is, is this intellectual curiosity. So, you know, here you are telling me about really going deep into the toilet world, no pun intended. <laughs> and I, the, the problem that I've experienced with that is like, suddenly like toilets would become the center of my world. Now I work in financial services and all I think about is like personal finance and wellness. And suddenly it's just feels like the center of the world for me, which obviously isn't necessarily the case for that, the end consumer or, or maybe even your client as they actually experience the solution that you're proposing. So how did you balance or throughout your career, whether that's at What If or at Vita Coco today, um, how do you balance that, you know, going deep and really understanding an industry, but also being able to zoom out and, and really get into the consumer's shoes? Such a great question. And that that actually is why I ended up ultimately leaving what if, right? I think that one of the things that I realized being in that consulting role within innovation is that you could do as much as possible to really understand the client's agenda, but also and, and also understand the realities of a consumer's world as a consultant. But it wasn't until you were on the other side of things could you really truly understand it. And so that's when I decided to go over to Diageo and then later on, later on now at Coco. But ultimately, you know, getting to those consumer shoes is not just about meeting them and understanding their world and how they interact with the category, but it's to your point, being really honest with yourself about what is really the decision-making process for people when it comes to different products in their lives. To your point, people are not really thinking too hard about a lot of this stuff. Totally. Yeah. And 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 it's it's a fine balance, right? So was it really challenging to to switch from the consulting world onto the client side, or was that another kind of more organic situation in your life? So so you were you've had the experience yourself being at a digital advertising agency before. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how you felt, but when I walked into Diageo the first day. I just remember thinking to myself, do I belong here? Mm, yeah, it's such, <laughs> a, such the a right change. place. Yeah, I just remember being in my first meeting and just everything was different. The lighting was different. <laughs> you know, everything, everything was so different. Um, while maybe on day one, I didn't feel like I belonged. I think that what I learned in that process was that the reason why a company like Diageo brings in people from the outside is because they they want diversity in thinking. Um, mm. And that's probably one of the biggest things that, you know, is another red thread 
across everything that I've done is a diversity of thought. And also not just thinking, but also how you work with other people. You know, through that process, I just realized I did belong because at the end of the day, we're all people, we're all trying to work together and figure out how to make something happen. And oftentimes something really fun and exciting and really meaningful for people. That's what I enjoyed about going client side. Ultimately, it was just being able to have a real hand in the real execution of things. I'm not sure how you feel about it, but. Yeah, no, I mean, it's interesting because you suddenly go out from, you go from being responsible for one aspect of a company's world to then actually having the company be your entire world. And I, I've really, really enjoyed it, but I, I agree. It was just such a huge culture change and, you know, atmosphere change. And I can tell you the lighting at a bank is, is very different than the lighting at a, at a digital advertising agency. So totally, totally agree on that. You mentioned a few things that I, I really want to dive into. I think the first one being, you know, diversity, right? Um, and while you were at What If, you actually hosted one of the very first ever win events there. And I really want to talk about that and hear all about that because, you know, we celebrated our five years recently. So just curious as to how you came about interacting with Win and and how that passion and thread of diversity has carried and maybe been different on the client side. I first came in contact with Wynn through one of the founders of Wynn, which is Althea. Um, she and I have known each other for a really long time. And we had gotten in touch with each other when she realized that I was at a similar company to her. So I think that I had been at What If for you know maybe a couple of years when she had joined uh, Fahrenheit. So she got in touch with me and we had just kind of share stories with each other, help each other out. And she let me know when she was, you know, having this idea of creating women and innovation. And I thought it was great. So I was one of the first members. Actually, I went to first meeting and hosted one of the first meetings, like you said. And I just thought it was really exciting because I don't think I had ever truly taken a step outside of what I was doing every day and really thinking about was my experience a little bit different because I was a woman, you know, had I ever even thought about networking period mm -hmm. in this industry, because it felt so, you know, niche in a way, you know, right. anytime I tried to explain what I did to friends, let alone, you know, like parents or mm -hmm. <laughs> people didn't quite like get it. So my first experience with when was, Oh my God, like, look at all these people who are here who know exactly what I do. Um, and I think that was probably one of the best experiences ever was just finding not just like-minded people, but just people who spoke my language, literally. <laughs> so not Latin. Not Latin. No, not Latin. <laughs> um, yeah, no. And I think that that's, that's what's really unique because innovation really feels so ever prevalent, but working in innovation and having innovation top of mind is quite unique. And, and that's what's really exciting about this organization. And of course, this podcast and, and bringing like minded women and listeners together. So then as you transition, like you said, you were at Diageo, and then uh, now at Vita Coco, you are have been in the beverages space. So how have you found innovation there? And what are some of the trends that you are looking out for? Uh, yeah, so I've been at Vita Coco for a little bit over two years. 
And it has been a busy two years. Mm-hmm. We have launched a lot of products on the base brand Vitacoco, but actually one of my biggest responsibilities at the company and the name of our company is, is all market. So we um, have a portfolio of brands and one of my biggest responsibilities is to launch new brands. And the mission is really around creating products that I don't think consumers ever could imagine that could be possible, right? So it's creating beverages specifically that are better for you, are better for the world, and really trying to be a responsible company in that regard. So everything about our products is going to be a little bit better, right? Whether that means it's natural, it's using clean ingredients or sustainable packaging. Um, One of the brands that we most recently launched is called Ever and Ever, which is, um, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it's a water Mm -hmm. in an aluminum bottle can. And the idea is we want to educate people about single use plastic. And this all came across because we were taking a hard look at ourselves and looking at the footprint that we had simply being a a business that has single use products Mm -hmm. and trying to understand what we can do to rectify that. So my work at AMI is really extensive because it's not just thinking about what's going to be on the shelf next year, but it's thinking about, you know, what is the trajectory of this business um, as it relates to its mission. So we've seen so many different changes of people's relationships with drinking and beverages, whether that's alcoholic or non-alcoholic. We saw, you know, the effect on COVID of how much alcohol is being consumed, obviously not necessarily a positive one, but generally with people's different approaches to health and what being healthy means. There are so many different perceptions around beverages. So what are some that you've seen and are are very closely paying attention to? Absolutely. So, I mean, you mentioned one of the biggest trends that we are paying attention to and I think is really hard to ignore, which is a shift away from alcohol, the sober, curious movement, if you will, Mm -hmm. But it's really about um, state management, meaning people are really in tune with their bodies and their minds, and they want to make these little tweaks. I think other trends that are impossible to ignore are sugar. Um, you know, consumers are really looking for low to zero sugar products, yet at the same time, they're really expecting functionality in their products, which is really interesting because. Oftentimes, when you want a functional product that's going to have an impact on you that you can feel, that often comes with some level of nutrition, which will include sugar. So it's an interesting tension where you want this guilt-free functionality. Mm -hmm. Um, And being able to figure out ways to deliver on that is really hard, but also really exciting. Um, And we actually, one of the big things that I'm working on right now is something that will hopefully answer on that. Um, But uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, So yeah, I think that basically nothing's really changed. I guess consumers want to, you know, eat their cake and have it too. (laughs) A hundred percent. Yeah. I I mean, don't we all? Yeah, completely agree with that. Totally. So right now in your career, you're at such a senior level and, and you've gone from from, you know, starting out early on in your career to now progressing into the global director of innovation role. So I'm sure one of your 
roles includes actually building out a culture of innovation and and inspiring your other uh, employees to create innovation and seek out innovation. So if you had to sum it up, what would you say are some of your core conditions for innovation, whether that's specific to the beverage space or otherwise? I love this question. My core conditions. I want I want to like say that to my team now. These are my <laughs> conditions. Um, so I think the biggest thing about innovation is that it's not really a function in most companies. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm really lucky where that is that happens to be my job. I think it's the funnest job ever. And I come from a lot of companies that have that as a function, but typically in most companies, they don't have that as a function because right. fundamentally it's really about a mindset and behavior system, right? So my conditions are that you really have to have the mindset and behaviors of innovation um, to be successful at it. And I think that probably the biggest behavior that matters the most to me beyond, I mean, there's all the obvious ones, right? Like communication, be nice to each other, be a team player, all those things. But I think that the one that can be a little bit unexpected sometimes, I don't, and I don't think gets talked about enough is momentum. And this was a behavior that we talked a lot about at what if, um, and it's something I talk about, I think, every day and what I do now and and what I've always done, but momentum is everything in innovation because an innovation can feel like it is one to two years out and that can feel like, well, I can just worry about this thing tomorrow. And the kind of attitude you need to have about something when it's as big as a new product or a new brand is that Every single day and every single minute matters. Today is urgent and tomorrow's urgent. And if you don't treat every single day with urgency, whether you're working on the brand strategy or the actual product itself or the financials, if you don't treat things with momentum every single day, then you lose excitement. You lose that deadline. You lose the competitive advantage. And that is probably the biggest condition that that I have. Right. And I think it's incredible that you have this platform uh, to do the things that you said, which is obviously one of the reasons that I started this podcast is to to showcase amazing women like yourself and also point out how, how actually rare it is that um, to have that opportunity as a woman in the innovation industry. So I was curious to hear about your experience of the challenges that came with that being a woman and uh, the experiences that you may have had either on the consulting side or at Vitacoco. There is a difference, you know, and there, and something that I'll steal from my, my husband for a second, for a second, he loves to tell this story and I'm going to steal it and hopefully not destroy (laughs) it. But he did uh, a gender training course um, at the company that he founded a few years ago. They, the, the trainers, I forget who the company was, um, basically explaining that, you know, at the end of the day, men and women, they, they are different. And mm-hmm. that this is kind of the root of, you know, where we actually end up with a lot of problems is that we don't really understand each other. And, and the example that they used was that there was a study that was done to show the brain at rest state 
and they compared a woman's brain versus a man's brain in rest state. So they were using um, fMRIs to do this. Wow. So the man's brain in rest state, right? You look at the image and it's completely dark, like lights out. Mm. Then you look at the woman's brain in rest state and it's basically a Christmas tree. Like wow. it is like firing on all cylinders. That's so um, accurate. I know. Like, like when I asked my husband, what are you thinking about? And he says, and he says nothing. nothing. <laughs> he like actually means it. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So basically uh, we've concluded this episode. Thank you for all the information that we've needed. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, it's, so the reason why they tell this story and they share this study is to say that just biologically we are different and there are lots of reasons why probably evolutionary wise you know why you have those differences and those you know those brain images mm-hmm. um but ultimately i think that what i have seen in innovation that relates to this story is um if anything as a woman i felt a little bit sometimes at, at an advantage because mm. women like that, that image, that brain image shows are always thinking 10 steps ahead. And there's something about it that's about that way of thinking that is just hardwired in us. It's actually been hugely beneficial. But at the same time, I do think that, um, you know, it, you do have to acknowledge that part of that story is also about there being inherent differences sure. that both sides need to acknowledge, right? And try to understand. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, a speech that I saw by Reese Witherspoon at the Glamour. I think it was like the Women of the Year Award, something like that. And she talked about this notion that in all the movies that she saw, uh, whenever there was like a drama or like a, a crisis, the women turned to each other and said, what do we do now? And she talked about how that always (laughs) got on her nerves because she said like, what woman looks at each other in a time of crisis and says, what do we do now? She actually springs to the action and actually gets the job done. And so amazing, amazing speech would highly recommend everybody and you to to check it out if you haven't before. But I think it does speak to this notion of innovation. I I think that as a woman inherently, you're not going to sit there and say, what do we do now? You're actually going to you know, roll up your sleeves and get to action. And that may be a result of a very challenging environment or inherent biases that you have to consistently fight. But but it's it's that spring in your step that it turns out is actually more inherent to you from a from a physiological perspective. Yeah, super interesting. Yeah, it, in that in that moment of, of disaster, women have already laid out the plan. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, before I let you go, I'd love to ask you one last innovation question, and that is, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? So one, so me, one month from now, launching a new product. So I'll be very busy doing that for the next few weeks, months. Uh, industry, and then industry in a month is going to be, you know, just completely uh, mesmerized by this new product launch. (laughs) In a year, um, I think that I see myself doing more of the same thing, meaning, you know, I I see myself still, you know, within 
this role. You know, I, I'm hoping that I'm, you know, continuing to not just grow my team, but really create that behavior and mindset within the company of innovation, like we talked about. So I'm hoping to look at that and feel like, you know, I've accomplished that and mm-hmm. the other and others that I work with have. In a year from now, I think the industry is going to see just a ton around more interesting functionality, like we were kind of talking about before. Um, you're seeing things like reishi mushroom make its way into sports drinks. And I just think that's awesome. So I just think there's going to be a lot of cool ingredients that become all of a sudden mainstream. And I think that's really exciting to watch. And then in 10 years, I think uh, for me, I, I really hope to be doing what I'm doing right now um, in some capacity. So that's probably the plan. And, you know, in terms of the industry, I think that the big thing that all the all, all companies are thinking about is sustainability. So I think that what you're going to see by 10 years is a lot less single use uh, products. I think you're going to see a lot more powders and more sustainable ways of imbibing your favorite beverages at home. And that just not goes for beverage, but any products, you know, how do you make them a bit more efficient and therefore less impactful on the world? I think that'll be where we're at in 10 years. And finally, I think that people will go back to basics always. And I think that you'll see that in 10 years time. Um, If you just look at what happened with COVID and orange juice and how much that category grew in that time, uh, I think that it just goes to show that the basics will always be here to stay and they'll always be on that shelf. Incredible. Well, thank you so, so much for taking the time to come on the Win Win Podcast. It has been an absolute blast. Of course. So much fun. Thank you for having me. My first podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakal. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.